Welcome to Micah Frankel's Caged Mind. Of course, I'm Micah Frankel. Thanks for joining me. We got a lot to talk about in the world of MMA. We got fighters who were on a hiatus returning to the USADA pool. Oh yeah, we have John Jones clarifying which way he wants to take his career. The heavyweight trilogy is now in the books and there is a whole slew of fights scheduled for this weekend. We're talking about LFA, Bellator, and UFC action. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's look back at UFC 252. I mean, gotta start off with Vina Janjaroba in a minute and 44 seconds, taking down and submitting Felice Herring with an armbar. Janjaroba, a talented top 15, now ranked contender, 16-1 and for the former Invicta champion. She is dangerous. You need to put some respect on her name. Vince Pichel, I mean, incredibly outgrappling Jim Miller. I thought Miller would be able to get the submission in this fight, and he stifled and ground and pounded at every turn by Pichel, who capped off the prelims with a great victory. Marab Davishvili outworks John Dodson. Something has to change for Dodson. Uh, I love him. Big fan of him. Have had the opportunity to interview him several times. And Dominic Cruz said it best. It looks like Dodson's looking in the mirror. He's waiting for the perfect knockout counterpunch to develop. Davishvili put together a great game plan. Even though he didn't get the takedown. Had a lot of control time against the cage in a victory that cements him as a top 15 contender there in the bantamweight division a bump in the road for herbert burns i mean look great at 150 pounds submitting evan dunham his continued path to 145 pounds would get messed up here as he'd miss weight and then get stuck under daniel pineda pineda in the getting to the crucifix position, laying in the elbows, and getting the second round TKO victory. The veteran performer returning to the UFC. This is his second stint with the promotion. The first one was six years ago. That was a huge win for Pineda. Jorinho Rosenstruck put together the combinations, showed his tighter, more technical and crisp kickboxing, was able to get on the inside, blasted Junior Dos Santos. The former heavyweight champion of the world looked great physically. His physique looked great, shredding even more weight, getting down to, what, like 135 pounds. Dos Santos physically looked great, did not look great in action. He looks predictable, and he looks like a lot of these wars, some great wars that he's been through, they've taken a toll. The fight on Mark, with Mark Hunt, the fights with Stipe Miocic, the fights with Cain Velasquez, they have, they have not been easy on Dos Santos. And now getting knocked out, we've seen by Nganu and then also getting stopped here by Rosenstruck. I don't think he's doing himself any favors. Right now, JDS looks to be in a bad way. If you didn't see it already, in the co-main event, Marlon Vera lands the perfect leg kick hitting a nerve behind the knee of Sean O'Malley, debilitating O'Malley's foot, giving him a dead leg. We've seen it before from Michael Chandler and Henry Cejudo. This one, it looks like O'Malley takes a big step forward, puts a lot of weight on his leg. X-rays say that nothing is broken. 
There's still so much swelling that they cannot do an MRI, so the full extent of the injury for Sean O'Malley is not known, but definitely the prospect now earns the stigma of injury-prone. It was two years on the shelf, 2-0 in the calendar year 2020. This was going to be his breakout year, and instead the Sugar Show is back on the shelf, and Marla Vera is able to take this momentum and really... Start shooting towards the atmosphere, looking to make that run. You take out the number 12 guy in the division. Personally, I'd like to see Davishvili, who took out Dotson. That was 14 versus 15. Go against Vera, so that would be 12 versus 14. I don't know if that works for everybody, but Vera, his grappling is very good. His striking, underestimated, obviously, like his kicking game we've seen now. And that was a huge victory 18-6 and six with one draw after that fight. O'Malley picking up his first career loss. And we get to the main event. The trilogy is now settled. And still, your heavyweight champion of the UFC, Stipe Miocic, defeating Daniel Cormier. Two judges had it four rounds to one. One judge had it three rounds to two. The first round was close. The third round was close. The fight was close to being finished in the second round as Miotrus was able to land two right hands, catching Cormier, skirting along the fence, dropping Cormier, following Cormier down, and even mounting DC. Miotrus almost getting the finish, but saved by the bell for Cormier, who took off round three. Uh, major credit to Miocic for making the adjustment and being able to get the underhooks and stifling Cormier's ability to wrestle, to get in on the body lock, or to get to that single leg. I thought that Cormier would have a big advantage in this fight and would basically be able to drag it to the ground when he wanted to and have that advantage. We saw how dominant he was in the second fight, and in a tell of what was nearly four fights, because you saw Cormier win the first one, Basically have the second one in the bag before Miocic adjusted and won. And then Miocic controlling the majority of this fight. His right hand, his ability to stop the grappling. And then they're both poking each other in the eyes. But you saw so many different layers to this fight where it was four different fights in this trilogy. It seemed like once Stipe was able to correct the body shot, he learned a lot in the second fight. He took that and learned even more, really got into the details of stifling the grappling game, of what Cormier was doing. That opened up his ability to punch. Cormier did a great job in this third fight of adjusting to that body shot that was deadly to him in the second. He was able to adjust. He defended, didn't get hit with many of them. But he continually got hit with the right hand. His eye was getting beat up even before the third round or even before the third round where the eye poke happens in the latter stages of the round. Where do you go after that? He says he can't see. I'm surprised that there wasn't a DI, somebody with the commission, somebody that did not overhear it. At a point when the fighter is telling his corner that his vision is messed up and there are other people from the commission, that's when you might want to call in the doctor. You can understand from Mark Goddard's point, I did not see it, I cannot call it. They have that in the NBA, the NFL, MLB. You're arguing balls and strikes, the refs are calling what they see. Should there be somebody outside to call these, to be a technological eye for the referees? I saw that Lou Thomas was throwing that out there. That's something for commissions to investigate, quite possibly. 
But in this particular case with Miocic and Cormier, Cormier had poked Miocic in the eye in the first fight. The second fight, and this third fight took so long to happen because Miocic took so much time to recover from the damages to his eye. A torn cornea, I believe, is what the diagnosis looks like for Daniel Cormier. His vision should return. I think that this speaks to a larger volume that the UFC needs to work on a new glove. They've enhanced their glove and changed their glove once before. Uh, Bellator, if you look at Chris Cyborg's social media, she is very proudly spreading that Bellator does have a curved glove that is it physically stops the fighters from putting the fingers out straight. We know the rules. They need to be up. They can't be out. But obviously, we saw both Miocic and Cormier poked each other in the eye. You need to an equipment change the UFC needs to stop this from happening. I know that Trevor Whitman and Onyx Rashad Evans was on the Joe Rogan Show six months ago showing the competition Onyx MMA glove that has the full kind of boxing glove support of the ropes to tie, and then you get your wrist tied in there with the strap, and it also had the curved uh, curvature to the glove so that you cannot poke your opponent in the eye. I hope that the UFC does do a deal with Onyx and brings those gloves in. I believe that Rogan recently even then had Trevor Whitman and Justin Gaethje on the show to talk about their the line of gloves, Onyx. So I hope they move forward with that. The UFC has improved once, but they kind of like to, in the glove industry at least, keep their gloves UFC gloves. We've seen them do the deal with Reebok. They went all the Reebok apparel. They're keeping Reebok around for a shoe deal as they're going with Venom apparel. Venom does make their own line of gloves. So will they work with Onyx? Will they try to get Venom into this technology? Will there be a collaboration of sorts? But it's technology that's needed and it needs to be implemented. We've seen that Bellator has been able to do it. And like we said, Onyx has come up with a glove. Uh, the old Pride glove even had a curvature that kind of eliminated those. So eliminating... Pokes to the eye would be a great value, and I would only see as a positive. It definitely needs to happen. So we have Cormier poked in the eye, having a fight through it. He can't see. Should it have been acknowledged? Should that have affected the outcome of the fight? Should we have had a no contest? Miocic had to deal with the eye being poked three times, in, once in each fight. So he's had to overcome that adversity it felt kind of like the conclusion that you would expect after getting poked, getting poked, and then Miocic gets poked in the eye in the first round. There's a poke in the eye in the third round, and if you could see between rounds, actually between the third and the fourth, Miocic notices it from the, from the camera, or maybe it's after the fight that people are talking about, but he notices it from a replay, and oh, wow, and acknowledges, oh, I thought it was a punch. I poked the shit out of him. It's hard to see. It's hard to judge in these tight corners. It was an unfortunate situation, and there needs to be a way to stop these situations, especially the eye poking, and that's why I look towards a change in the glove, a change in the equipment, and something to move forward with that technology. But we can't get too far on that. We need to remember that this is about the greatness of Stipe Miocic, 6 UFC champion heavyweight championship wins that's fights just overall 
two-time champion, defended the title now four times. Congratulations to the baddest man on the planet, and without a doubt, the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, Stipe Miocic. I think that next up for him is Francis Ngannou. It's what Dana White has been saying this week, and I believe that we can take what he says right there for honest truth and really follow that path as to what the UFC is going to be doing next. But talking about the heavyweight division, almost in a Conor McGregor-esque moment on Saturday night, John Jones took full advantage of the opportunity that the heavyweights were being showcased to put his two cents in as to how he would do against Miocic, talking about the right hand being too slow, avoided, he'd be too fast, victorious soon. It sounds like the John Jones focus and fire is burning for the heavyweight division. Well, we got even more clarity of that as officially on Monday, John Jones talked to the UFC, and after announcing it once on social media, it's now official, John Jones has vacated the light heavyweight title. In connecting news, the undercard of Israel Adesanya, Paulo Acosta, on September 26, UFC 253, they're now targeting the co-main event to be for that vacant light heavyweight title, Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich. I had not seen the podcast earlier from last week, but apparently Dana White had went on a Las Vegas podcast and told the people there on that podcast that John Jones's options were to move up to heavyweight or to have a rematch with Dominic Reyes. I don't want to knock against the Dominic Reyes rematch, but I believe in February... Here in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, there was a UFC event. We saw Jan Blahovich, Corey Anderson in the main event. That kind of felt like all week. And in the press releases, we were being led to believe that was a light heavyweight number one contender bout. It turns out it is now because Jan's getting to fight for the vacant title. But my expectations from that marvelous first round knockout that Jan Blahovich scored is that he was the automatic number one contender. So I'm just a little bit perplexed by Dana White's logic, psyche, and announcement. You figured John's options would be Jan or moving up to heavyweight. You want to throw Dominic Reyes in there's a third option. I understand it, but I don't understand why we sell a number one contender bout and then leave it in the dust, especially when the guy does win in spectacular fashion that should anoint him the number one contender that big knockout victory. Nevertheless, Jan Blahovich versus Dominic Reyes is very interesting. Blahovich has to win by knockout. He's not going to be able to take down Reyes. It's going to be an excellent striking matchup for as long as it lasts. Now, John Jones going back to light heavyweight. It sounds like that's what gets him going. Or John Jones moving up to heavyweight. That gets him going. Staying at light heavyweight, he had dominated the division. He had defended the title 11 times. He's won it three to four times, depending on what you look at with the vacants and the no contests. At least a three-time champion with 11 defenses in that reign. John Jones has obviously cemented himself in the GOAT conversation and the, is the greatest light heavyweight of all time, easily surpassing, you know, Shogun, Machida, Rampage, all the guys that he left in his dust, not to mention Ortiz and Liddell, who were gone by the time that we got to see John Jones, also passing by Randy Couture, all them dudes. John Jones, the cream of the crop, now looking for a new challenge and going up to heavyweight, I mean, 
You have to put on size, strength. I've seen John Jones in practice, in wrestling practice with heavyweights, and he more than hones his own. He is the greatest. He dominates, obviously. But to go up to heavyweight to full-time compete with these guys, I've seen on social media he's already looking for a nutritionist, for another supplement sponsor. I wouldn't be surprised if he's looking for another strength and conditioning coach. There's going to be a methodical, thought-out, scientific process in John Jones moving up to heavyweight, totally giving the opportunity for us to see the rematch between Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic. Because then I love that you're able to build up when John Jones does move to heavyweight that the light heavyweight goat will either fight the heavyweight goat or the baddest man on the planet. I mean, the hardest puncher on the planet. You think about the possibilities for if Ngannou wins the title. You either get goat-goat with Jones Miocic or you get, my God, this hype train and phenomenon of Francis Ngannou versus John Jones. So those prospects, financially lucrative in sense, make the most sense for John Jones. They get him hungry. They get him motivated. They get him training hard. It all makes a lot of sense. It also makes a lot of big business for the UFC. I truly believe that that's where we're heading is a John Jones versus the winner of Francis Ngannou versus Stipe Miocic. It also will probably come somewhere when we're allowed to again have a live audience, that would also help the UFC get towards the kind of financials and the payday that John Jones wants because that's the other reason to move up to heavyweight, the challenge and the payday to get those big bucks. You may be the greatest of all time, but you're not making the most of all time. That's Conor McGregor. That's the other thing that John Jones has to chase now. It's a heavyweight title. It's buy rates. It's the most money. If John Jones is motivated and invigorated by all this. The potentials are endless. How will he fight these heavyweights? Do you see more wrestling coming out of John Jones? We haven't seen the same kind of one-punch knockout power that we've seen from other guys. We've seen John be in some crazy fights and take some big shots from Dominic Reyes, from Tiago Santos, from Alexander Gustafson. But taking those punches from those guys versus taking Ngannou, that's a whole different kind of punch. There's a world of difference there. Nobody's taking the Ngannou punches, really, except Stipe Miocic. And even though Miocic and John Jones are relatively the same size, we've seen from this past weekend with Miocic against Cormier, there's a thing of being really a natural heavyweight. It'll be interesting to see if John Jones fills out and is a natural heavyweight, because it's not the dissing it out. It's being able to take it. But there's obviously a whole new level of intrigue when it comes to the heavyweight division with John Jones potentially moving up for a super fight. In the light heavyweight division, I think we've seen this once before. We saw DC on the undercard of a Miocic title defense. That's the only time I can think of that we've ever seen the light heavyweight title as a co-main event. We did not see the light heavyweight title as a co-main event to the Anderson Silva middleweight title run, but it will be, it looks like, a co-main event to the Israel Adesanya era. That speaks volumes of how the light heavyweight division has to rebuild. It was a cornerstone of the UFC competition. And now to say it's going to have a nice placement as the co-main event under Adesanya Costa is a whole new world for the UFC. We've talked about last weekend. We've talked about John Jones. 
Anthony Rumble Johnson. Yeah, you remember him, a big, brutal knockout artist who challenged for the light heavyweight title against Daniel Cormier. Well, Rumble, who has been recently pretty affiliated with, I believe, uh, Red Tier 1 Supplements and also Bare Knuckle Boxing as kind of just a uh, sponsor and there to endorse the company, he has re-entered the USADA testing pool and is rumored to want to be competing at 205 pounds. So maybe there's a lot more intrigue in the light heavyweight division coming back. Also, Gus moves down. You got Rumble. You basically got the two runner-ups to Jones and Cormier. Can one of them cement their legacy back at 205 now that it's a whole new division? Well, let's get to this weekend's fights. I mean, we got some action coming up this weekend. LFA is on UFC Fight Pass. They're returning to the Sanford Pentagon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's Phase 2, the first weekend of four Fridays in a row MMA action from LFA, starting off with crowning a new welterweight champion. Jaleel Willis has won three in a row, all by decision. He's going to take on Vinicius de Jesus, who was in action last a year ago. But that was a third-round knockout win to win the CES title. So you know those two are both highly motivated, and you can expect a call from the UFC with a victory. Bellator vet Andre Filo, who is a knockout artist, takes on Austin Jones in the co-main event fight. I got to honestly say that I'm most excited for on this card is 4-0 Israeli Natan Levy taking on Ben Lugo who is tough, tough, tough. This one is rescheduled from LFA 84. Levy, known for his jiu-jitsu, but his striking is really coming together. Look forward to that one as LFA again kicks off Phase 2 Friday night from South Dakota. Friday night, Bellator back in Connecticut, the fight sphere. And the light heavyweight title is on the line as Ryan Bader defends against Vadim Nevkov. Nevkov 12-2. Bader 27-5. Bader has spent a long time at heavyweight winning the Grand Prix and then having that no contest with Czech Congo. How does the weight cut go? How does his body feel returning down to 205? Well, Nemkov has only been fighting there at 205 and nearly took away Liam McGeary's legs with kicks and was able to stifle all the takedowns attempts of Phil Davis. The Russian is definitely dangerous. Submissions and knockouts. Ryan Bader has a handful to deal with. Can he deal with the leg kicks? That's going to be first and foremost before he can get off those big punches. Former featherweight champion Julia Budd returns on the card. And Russian prospect Valentin Madovsky meets Roy Nelson at heavyweight. You also got talented grappler John Salter against Colorado striker Andrew Capel, who has some nasty body kicks. Eric Pettis versus Joss Hill, a bantamweight top contender to emerge from that prelim, not to mention Adam Piccolotti and Sydney Outlaw in a lightweight bout that the winner will most likely be on a main card fight and finding themselves back in the hunt for title contention. So that's Bellator in Connecticut, and that brings us all the way around to the UFC on Friday. And I mean, if it feels like you've been waiting, or the UFC on Saturday, if, if it feels like you've been waiting for this one for a while, you have been. 
Pedro Munoz welcomes Frankie Edgar to 135 pounds. I mean, this one got bounced around Fight Island, back here in the States, was supposed to be on the pay-per-view card, and now is a headliner on the UFC Fight Night card this weekend. Edgar, the last two in a row, getting knocked out by Korean Zombie after having the opportunity to dethrone Max Holloway, stopped by that decision loss. Down to 135 pounds is where people have wanted to see Frankie Edgar for so long, walking around at 155 pounds, fighting at 155 and winning the title. A tremendous amount of success there at 145. Unable in three opportunities, though, to win the title. He goes down to Bantamweight. It would be huge to skip a weight class like that, be the first fighter to jump a weight class and win a title. I think that with impressive enough victory, a title opportunity could really be in the realm of possibility. You would think that Aljamain Sterling coming off of that submission, beautiful, brilliant submission of Corey Sanhagen, would be first up to challenge Peter Yan for that Bantamweight title. Dana White has been reluctant to commit. Sterling looks like he wants to fight. So unless Yan is on vacation, I'm not really sure why the delay in making it official that Sterling is getting the title fight. I think it's to give Frankie Edgar an opportunity with a stellar enough possibly knockout victory to get that title shot, the name recognition, the bouncing around, the fight three different times, possibly some of those favors, maybe the UFC hook up Edgar because you know they think he's a name. He's been in so many marquees and had so many big fights for them. The opportunity for Edgar to sneak into that Bantamweight title contention in one fight, I feel like it's a real possibility. You're taking on Munoz, the number four guy in the world on some rankings, so that would be a huge win. Alonzo Menafield, who has been a knockout artist and is a finishing machine in his MMA career, Faces former title challenger Ovin St. Peru in the co-main event. Peru, nearly four times as much professional experience for OSP, who's coming back down after a four-way up at heavyweight that didn't go so well against Ben Rothwell. We'll see what Menafield has to offer against the former Tennessee Val. I'm also looking for a big performance on this card for Maria Akapava. We saw her debut getting a submission victory over Hannah Cyphers. Now she's going to be taking on Shanna Dobson. So looking for big things from the Kazakh fighter. Not to mention we have Mexico's top light heavyweight, Jorge Gonzalez, taking on Ike Villanueva. And former WSOF champion Timur Valiev takes on Mark Striegel. So there's a couple names there on the undercard to really watch out for, not to mention Austin Hubbard, who just destroyed Max Rudolph in his last fight, takes on Joe Zalecki. So a nice undercard. It's these fight cards from the UFC with the names that you don't recognize that usually produce the most action. Also, forgot to mention, don't know many of the details, but no surrender. Three is Friday morning from one championship on BR Live. That will be a heavily influenced Muay Thai or a heavily 
or a event heavily influenced by Muay Thai fights. A couple MMA bouts also on that card from one championship. Their third straight event there in Bangkok, Thailand. Also to mention, Paige Van Zandt, more details to her contract with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship have come to light. It is apparent that Van Zandt will be a spokesperson. She will be a part of the broadcast team. She will be a major part of Bare Knuckle FC moving forward. A full-blown partner in the promotion, basically. Looking at this being a multi-million dollar deal. So when we thought of her going over there just to fight Bare Knuckle, it's not just to fight Bare Knuckle. It's to expand her brand, expand her exposure. And also, with being a former Dancing with the Stars, a contestant that did so well. Bare Knuckle FC just hoping to get some of that shine back, that exposure, and some of that free publicity. Whole lot we went through today. You got inside of my cage minds. I thank you for listening. Keep up with me and everything I'm doing. The website is cageminds.com. YouTube page, Cage Minds MMA Show. This is the podcast on Anchor FM. Social media is on Facebook, Cage Minds Combat Sports News. Instagram, it's Cage Minds underscore CSN. And the first social media that we had, Twitter, it's at Cage Minds MMA. Thank you for listening.